Well, last week, last week I had asked you guys to spend this week reflecting on the story of Christ's passion and his death and resurrection. And then um, during the bonfire service, I asked people to share a little bit about what God had spoken to them uh, this week. And I said that if I had said something, then everybody would have been uh, able to go home. Because what I am sharing with you this morning is based on what God said to me. I would like you to turn to Matthew chapter 27, verses 50 and 51. Now, I'm going to be reading, for those of you who have electronic Bibles, I'm going to be reading, for the most part, out of the New Revised Standard Version. New Revised Standard Version. I will read one verse out of the NIV, but the rest of them will be New Revised Standard Version. But Matthew 27, verses 50 to 51, Jesus is on the cross at this point. And it says, Then Jesus cried again with a loud voice and breathed his last. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. In the moment of Christ giving up his spirit and dying on the cross, something cataclysmic happened. There was an earthquake. The sky was darkened. It was like all of creation just went into mourning. But we just read the words in the very center of this two passages. At that same moment, something happened in the worship space of the Jewish people. The the curtain, it says, was torn from top to bottom. It wasn't like somebody tripped, caught it on a buckle on their shoe, and it tore. Because that would have been from the bottom up. Stories also tell us that this woven cloth was so thick, it would have taken a knife to cut it. It wouldn't have just accidentally torn But the earthquake fell, and what some scholars believe was that there were pillars that were holding up the the, the curtain, and when when the earthquake happened, the pillars went over like this, and it shredded the curtain from the top all the way down to the bottom. We really don't know. There's no way to prove it. There were no videographers back then. There was nobody recording it. We just know that the event happened. That's all we know. And it's all speculation on what, how, when, where, all of that. But what what we know happened was, in the moment of Christ's death, the the curtain tore. And that's significant if you think about it. And I wanted to share with you the significance of the tearing of the curtain. There were two things that happened this week, in the week of Jesus' death. God provided atonement. Atonement means a wiping clean of guilt. In the Jewish calendar, atonement happened once a year, it was in, in our Western calendar, it always happens in the latter days of September. I don't remember the number. It's like the seventh 
the seventh day of the tenth month of the year, or maybe it's the tenth day of the seventh month of the year, I don't remember, but basically it happens around the end of September for us, or somewhere in September, the Day of Atonement. And this is the day, well, let me, let me just share with you how it works, okay? Leviticus, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but Leviticus chapter 4, verse 1 through 12, and then... Leviticus chapter 16, verses 1 through 34, talk about this atonement, okay? Now, we don't have time this morning to read, that's, you know, that's 50 verses right there, and and it's boring reading, quite honestly, I've read it, it's pretty boring. Leviticus is a very boring book, so don't read it, just trust your pastor, go home and read it tonight. Um, But in Leviticus 16, these 34 verses talk about this sacrifice, the Day of Atonement. And basically what it says is, in order to make this happen, the high priest has to go into the Holy of Holies and he has to do this offering. And you guys are all sitting there with blank expressions on your face because you have absolutely no understanding or idea or way of relating to what I'm about to say. So let me give you some visuals. Okay? In ancient Israel, God gave specific instructions to Moses saying, there are certain things that I want in my church, okay? In our sanctuary here, we have a cross which gives us a remembrance of the sacrifice of Christ. We have this seven-candled menorah which reminds us of the sevenfold spirit of God, God in his completeness. We have a table of sacrifice where we offer to God our first fruits and also additional offerings. We have the remembrance of of the Christ's death and resurrection through the, through the communion elements. We have God's word here. And then we just have a bunch of other stuff that's just because. But if you look around the room, we have the names of God. So there are specific elements in our worship space that help us to worship God. The same thing was true in the Jewish temple or the Jewish tabernacle. And this was one of the primary pieces. This was called the Ark of the Covenant. And there were three Four or five specific things. The one thing I'm not going to talk much about is, notice there's some poles on it. Those poles were for carrying it. Because if you touch that box, you physically die. So you carry it by the poles. And only certain people got to carry it. Okay? But what I do want to talk to you about is this. First of all, the box itself, the ark itself. It is a hollow box, and it contains certain things. It contains... Uh, a jar full of the manna, which was the food that God gave to the Israelites during their 40 years in the, in the wilderness. It contains the tablets, which have the Ten Commandments on them that God himself wrote. And then it also contains the, the staff that, Aaron's, um, that, that was Aaron's staff that budded when God was proving that he was the supreme God in the time of Israel. Now, it was all in that box, in that Ark of the Covenant. Additionally, there was what was called the atonement cover. Okay, basically it was the lid to the box. Okay? And the lid to the box was adorned with cherubim. These were winged creatures, and the Bible tells us that cherubim are actually winged creatures that are hanging around, flying around the the throne of God, ever declaring before all of creation, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Through all of eternity, their whole purpose is to worship God. So the top of the box is the cherubim. And then right between the cherubim and the top of the box, right there, is called 
the mercy seat. That's where the presence of God was manifested when Moses would go into the tabernacle. When it says God met with Moses face to face like a man meets with his friend, God didn't, like in The Wizard of Oz, have this glowing head that showed up there going, I am the great and powerful wizard. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Okay, that's not what this was. We don't fully understand what it was, but we do know that this was where God met with people. This was, in, in some Christian circles, what, are called, what is called a thin place. It's a place in the physical where the spiritual comes in, through this thin opening in the veil. That's the spot where God would meet with Moses. So there's this Ark of the Covenant sitting on a little pedestal in the holy space of the tabernacle or the temple, and Moses would go and stand before it and meet with God face to face. Okay? Now, this picture that you're seeing here is a picture of an actual model. It's a full, not a full scale, but it's a scale model that you can go to Jerusalem today and actually see this. And this is a picture of that model. And this is Herod's temple. This is what Jesus and his disciples would have seen in Jerusalem when they went to the temple at Passover. Okay? Now, there are three spaces in this temple. The first arrow that you're seeing is pointing to what's called the court of women. If you were a Jewish person and female, that's the closest you could get to where God was. This area here is the court of the priests. That's where the priests would do their work, the sacrificing, the ritual washings, etc. Behind the temple, um, and I, there was no way to show it to you there, but there's a wall behind the temple, and behind the temple structure itself there was a space. That was where the men would go to meet with the priest to turn in their sacrifice. And then the priest would come around into, the, into that court where the second, arm, second red arrow is and offer the offering there. Notice the women didn't get involved with the offering of the sacrifice. The women just went to be near the, the space, but they were not participating in the worship. And that goes to a lot of the issue in Corinthians, why Paul told the women to, tell, to stay quiet in church, because they didn't have any understanding of how to worship, because they were never given the opportunity to truly worship in the Jewish culture. Now, Third arrow. This is the actual temple. You can't see anything from this picture. If I could lift the lid off and you could look and you could get a better picture, but let me give you at least a picture of the floor plan of that temple area. Now, this is the court of women. Okay, this is the space. If you go back, this first arrow, okay, that's the court of women. That's the court of women. Okay? That's the court of the priests. That circled area and make it bigger. That circled area is the temple on the left. See where it says porch? That's literally the steps that go up into the temple. And then there's the court of the priests. Now, in this area, the court of the priests, what that arrow is pointing to, that's where the, where the big altar was, where they would have done all the sacrifices of the animals. Okay? And you see over here it says court of Israel. That's where the, they would have brought the sacrifice. They would have then brought it over here to the, to the altar. And they would have sacrificed... And it literally says there was so much blood as a result of thousands and thousands of, of, of animals being sacrificed that they would literally, they literally had like a sewer system that would run out to the Kidron Valley from the, from the Temple Mount 
and it'd go out to the Kidron Valley, and blood would just flow like water, like sewage, out of the temple, into the Kidron Valley. The Kidron Valley was where the weeping and the gnashing of teeth was, Gehenna, that idea of hell. And it was just nasty, nasty, nasty. Now, the next area, this is inside the temple, okay? Inside the temple, this area is called the holy place. In there, you would have found an altar of incense, an altar for the bread, and the golden menorah, the seven-lighted lampstand, representing the presence of God. The altar of incense was where they did every single morning and every single evening, they would offer incense. There was a special holy incense that you would offer as a sacrifice to God on live coals. And then there was the show bread that every single morning they had to bring fresh bread and then that old bread was taken out and the priests would eat it. Okay? Then there's the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies is where that Ark of the Covenant would be placed. So in the Holy of Holies is where God's presence is. And between the holy place and the Holy of Holies was this incredibly woven, beautiful tapestry that separated the Ark of the Covenant from the altar of incense. Because no one could go into the presence of God except the high priest and that only one time a year on the Day of Atonement in September. Any other time, a priest would go to this altar of incense, which was before the curtain in the Holy Temple, so that they could offer incense to God, but no one went into the very presence of God ever, or they'd die. Literally, when the, when the high priest on the Day of Atonement, would go behind the curtain to go into the presence of God. He wore the... the, the well, that's what he wore right there. That's, that's the outfit of the high priest. And oh my goodness, go to templeinstitute.org. There's a, there is a real high priest outfit, uniform, that has already been created for the third temple. And they have pictures of it. It's amazing. Anyway, we won't go there this morning. Um, but the, literally, there were bells, like jingle bells, along the, the garment hem that the high priest wore, and they would tie a rope to his ankle. He would go back into this holy of holies, and the first thing he'd have to do is he'd have to have a small bowl of live coals and the holy incense. And he'd stand before the Ark of the Covenant, sprinkling the incense so that a cloud of incense, smoke, would cover him from seeing the Ark of the Covenant for fear that he would die. He then had a small vial, a small little cup that was on a, a handle that was filled with the, um, the uh, oh, I forgot. He had to do a sin offering first. That's Leviticus chapter 4. He had to do a sin offering for himself, which was the sacrifice of the blood from a bull, and he would have to dip his finger into it seven times and drip it, and drip it, and drip it before this Ark of the Covenant, while that smoke was going so that he wouldn't be killed and he wouldn't see God's face, and he's dipping seven times, saying, God, forgive me and my sons for any sins we've committed this year. Please cleanse us from all sins so that I can then carry the offering for the people into you. Okay? The first thing that had to happen was he had to have a covering of protection so that he didn't accidentally see God 
and die. The second was he had to then offer seven dips of blood on the floor so that God would be appeased so that the high priest and his family wouldn't be held accountable for any of their sins for the last year. And then once he was clean ritually before God, he then brought in the offering of atonement, which was, again, blood that he then put on the corners of the Ark of the Covenant. He basically did this, like sprinkling holy water, only it was blood. And it was, oh God, please forgive the sins of your people any that they had unintentionally committed. Not intentionally committed. Unintentionally committed this year. Because if a person intentionally committed a sin, they have to offer a totally separate sacrifice. This was just, please keep us clean, God, in your sight. Now that's Leviticus 16 and Leviticus 4. In, in encapsulated form. Okay? So now do you know what I'm talking about when I say the Day of Atonement and the offering for sin and the offering... Okay, And do you understand that the reason he had the rope on his ankle was because if for some reason God didn't accept him, he dropped dead. And no one else could go in there because no one else was the high priest. So they would drag his dead carcass out of the holy place with the rope. That's how serious a thing it was to the Israelites when they come before their God and ask for forgiveness of their sins. For us... I did it again, God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Yeah, I know you'll forgive me because Jesus died on the cross and I'm going to be forgiven, so it's okay. Totally different mindset. Totally different mindset. Entering into the presence of the Holy One, fearing if I'm not acceptable, I die. That's a very powerful image. And that's what they did every year at Herod's temple. And there's the, there's the veil that got torn from top to bottom in the moment that Jesus died. Why? Don't answer, just think. Why, first of all, did it happen? And why did the Holy Spirit of God say, write this in my book? so that all generations will know that this happened. Why? A barrier was removed. A barrier was removed. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through verse chapter 5, verse 9. I'll read it to you. You can follow along if you'd like. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Did you hear that? Jesus, the Son of God, is the great high priest. What was the role of the high priest? He had the job once a year to go into the very presence of God, clean himself, so that he could offer up the sins of all of the people and ask for forgiveness of God. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness. Do you see the difference? The people of, the people of Israel before Jesus' time were scared to go into the presence of God for fear that he'd zap them. And now we're being told you can come into the presence of God to the throne of grace 
with boldness so that we can receive mercy and find the grace that we need in our I mean, grace to help us in the time of our need. Every high priest, this says, Hebrews chapter 5 now, every high priest is chosen from among mortals and it is put in charge of things pertaining to God on their behalf to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. This high priest is able to deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is subject to weakness. And because of this, he must offer sacrifice for his own sins as well as for those of the people as one does not presume to take this honor but takes it only when called by God just like Aaron was. So... Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest. He was appointed by God, the Father, who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications and loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. That's the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. And although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Jesus' death at Easter provided a once and for all atonement. No longer does the high priest have to go once a year to ask for forgiveness for the people because Jesus did it once and for all. And that's why the veil got torn. No longer do you have to have someone else go to God on your behalf. Now you can boldly come to God on your own behalf and ask for forgiveness for your own sins and make it right between you and God Without any intermediary. You don't have to come to me and say, Oh, Pastor Bob, would you please pray for me and ask God to blah, blah, blah. You can go to him yourself as long as you're in right relationship with him. And that means that your sins have been cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ. The sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. But there's more to this story than just atonement. Easter isn't just forgiveness of sins. There's one more thing that's most important, and that's the resurrection. See, forgiveness of sins is wonderful, but listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 4. Paul said, if Christ hadn't been raised, resurrected, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If all, well, let me, let me go on. Verse 17 to 19 of chapter 15 says, If Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Those who also who have died in Christ also have just simply died. For this life only we have hoped in Christ, excuse me, if for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, if all you got was a good feeling during the time that you're on this earth, but then you die, and that's all there is, there's nothing outside this life, that doesn't make sense. Worried about some God that's going to zap you unless you're right with Him, and making it right with Him through the sacrifice of Jesus, and then you die, and that's it? But you see, that's not it. Every single human being that has ever been conceived and has, has, from that moment on, they are an eternal soul. 
their soul will never die. Their body may die, but their soul will go on. And the hope that we have is that Jesus himself was the very first one. The very first one. That's why when you read in the book of Revelations, chapter 1, where he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus was there at the beginning of creation. He'll be there at the end of creation, but he's also the very first one to be raised from the dead. The very first human. Lazarus, you might be thinking, well, Lazarus was raised from the dead. Lazarus died again. Jesus never died again. Jesus was raised from the dead And then he ascended to be with the Father. And he sits on the right hand of the Father, making intercession on our behalf. What does that mean? He's a high priest. He's sitting there at God's right hand saying, please be with whoever he's talking about. Please, Father, meet their need. Please, Father, forgive their sin. Please, Father, help them in this situation. He's there making intercession as our high priest. And then the, the last scripture section that I want you to look at. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 50 through 57 says. Paul says what I am saying brothers and sisters is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Think about that. You can't go to heaven in this body. The perishable does not inherit the imperishable. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability. This mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability, this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give it to you in a nutshell. God wants to have relationship with every single one of you. He will not allow sin in his presence. The only way to have sin cleansed is through the blood of Jesus, through the atonement that Jesus made possible for all of you. There is going to come a death for you. Just because you become a Christian doesn't mean you get exempt from dying. Okay? There will come some time where some of us who are still on this earth won't physically die, but our bodies will just be physically changed. But there's no guarantee of that for you. There is a most likelihood that you will age, decay, and die. But the hope and the promise that you have is that's not the end. You will be raised to new life where you will be with God forever and forever in his presence and he will love you and you will worship him and you will love him back and it will be glorious and wonderful and fabulous and beautiful. And that's the story of the torn veil. God no longer says, you can't come into my presence. You have to have somebody else do it for you. God no longer says, you have to be afraid of me. God says, I've made it possible for you to be clean in my eyes 
And I promise you eternal life if you'll come to me. That's the story of the torn veil. And so this morning, as we close out, I'd like you to take a moment or so to reflect on your own life where you're at. I'd like you to think about where you are in relationship with God. And if there is a need for you to either receive atonement, to have your sins cleansed, or to enter into relationship with him in the first place so that you can have that hope of eternal life, this is your moment. This is your time. If you're a Christian and you haven't been walking with God the way that you know God wants you to walk with him, this is your moment to make that right too. And then at the end of this moment of reflection, this time of quiet, we're going to take the, uh, the elements that represent the death of Christ, the bread and the juice, representing his body and his blood. You don't have to be a member of the Church of the Nazarene to participate in this. All you have to be is a Christian. So if you know that you're a Christian, and you know that your heart is right before God, you are welcome to join us in this ceremonial meal that reminds us of the death of Jesus because of the love that he had for us. So let's take a few minutes and just reflect and pray, make our hearts right before God, and then we'll participate together in communion. Let's pray.